Welcome to Bible study. This is Nick Krita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. It's our pleasure to study the Bible together and please stay with us and enjoy the program. I would like to introduce the panel today, even though a bit more reduced than usual. And we are thinking also of um, those members of the panel who couldn't make it for today for various reasons. Some also a bit of sickness and some being away. But it's uh, my privilege to say hello to Joe. Good to have you with us, Joe. Thank you, Nick. It's always good to be here. The same, Ken. It's very good to have you joining us. Thank you, Nick. Always a privilege to be here. Lija, thank you for being part of the panel. Mm, praise the Lord for that, that I'm here today. <laughs> and Len, thank you for uh, coming together and particularly working on the Bible study, putting together this uh, study and facilitating. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you, Dick. And hello, listeners. You know, listeners, we have been and are still studying the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. And it's about the Israelites and God. And Deuteronomy is largely a record of three speeches given to the people by Moses, their leader, just prior to them crossing the River Jordan to enter the land of promise, what we now know as Israel. Amongst other things, but most importantly, the people were to observe the laws given by God. By observing those laws, the people were promised to be at peace, that they would prosper and be a wonder to the surrounding nations. Nevertheless, there were some who were reluctant to follow God's guidance. What we are studying today is a desire expressed by God that all would obey him fully. You know, God still has that same desire for people living in our times. As we consider the relevant passages of Scripture concerning the Israelites, it's our hope that you will apply these messages to yourself. But before we open the Word of God today, Joe, would you like to pray for us and all our listeners? Yes, Lynn. Thank you. Father in heaven, we know you earnestly desire that we may turn to you unreservedly, wholeheartedly, to trust you, Lord, for you are entirely trustworthy, exchanging our way for your way because it is life now and we know it is life eternal and abundant. There are many ways and many of them are good, but if they do not lead to you, Father, they are the wrong way. May we and all who hear turn to you today. Give us your Holy Spirit as we discuss this very important topic in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Joe. Okay, well, there is a Hebrew word pronounced me yaten, which translated means if only. Now, I'm just asking you to volunteer, panel. Have you had any regrettable if only moments in your life that you would like to share? Yes, it happened to me uh, quite a few times in my life. Some occasions that I missed something. And later on, I realized that if only I would decide for that thing, my life would turn totally different. And in many ways. So if that if only is, it was so important. 
Yes. Yes, Ken. Well, I think very much like Leitcher, looking back on my life, I could probably write a book on if only moments I had too much time here to take up, but it's absolutely so true. As you look back on different things and think, if only it made this decision or if only it gone that way, things would have been so much better uh, and, and circumstances could have been so much better. And it really changes your life uh, at that time. But sometimes, especially I think as we're younger, we tend not to think too much about future things or things that happen. We, we just make an on-the-spur the, on uh, decision about something. And then it's only later on when we sit down and really think about it, we realize we made the wrong decision. Yes. Yes, Nick? I just want to add to that, that, yeah, from a human perspective, we always uh, look back and thinking uh, of the maybe mistakes or things which didn't go well in our life. And we are thinking, oh, if I would have taken that road, I would be much better. Or if I'll take the other one, I will do different things. We probably don't realize that um, even if we would have taken some of those things, who knows when or where would have taken us and maybe even think again, say, oh, if I wouldn't take that decision, probably I would be much better. The reason I'm saying this is because of the aspect, if only I would have given my heart fully to God, then uh, we can hope for the, the best in our life. Because decisions, our own decisions, regardless of how we think that how important that they can be if I would have taken different point in time. They still can be wrong. You never know. You never know. Yeah, so I had a situation once. I had a business on a main road, and I used to get people call in and just want to talk. And sometimes they were nuisances. I wanted to be busy, and they wanted to talk. And one chap called in one day. I had never seen him in my life before. He came in and he just wanted to talk. I don't know if he realized I was a Christian or what, but he wanted to talk. And he was telling me that he had terminal cancer and might only have a few weeks to live. And I was very sympathetic to him. And after a while he left and I thought to myself, you silly goat, talking to myself, you silly goat, you should have taken him into the office and prayed for the poor fellow. And I regret not having done that. And I'm sure God has some if-only moments too. As he looks at his people and he thinks, if only they would do what I've told them to do, they would be happy. But they've chosen another course of life, and so they have all these troubles. Well, let's move on then. Ken, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses recounts the time when the people heard the voice of God proclaiming the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai 40 years earlier. How did the people feel as a result of hearing God proclaiming the Ten Commandments at that time? Well, then, I'll just briefly read this couple of verses here just so people can see where we're coming from. So starting at uh, verse 23... So it was when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, that you came near to me. 
all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness. And we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he still lives. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of our Lord, our God, any more, then we shall die. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? So here we have Moses talking to the people and the people are surrounded this mountain and God has told them all not to come near because his greatness is so wonderful. And he's he's spoken them certain things that they have to do. And Moses is reminding them about this. And the people at the time, because of this phenomenal uh, showing of the Lord around this mountain, he covered his greatness covered the entire mountain with with uh, clouds and smoke and lightning and flashings and sounds. It was just an amazing thing. The people were absolutely scared to death, uh, which is very understandable. They really, at the time, really feared for their lives. And Moses is just reminding them about this event. Yes. Now, we very often hear people talk about God, and we do it ourselves as a merciful and kind God. But the people back then had opportunity to witness his glory and they heard his voice and they were very, very scared. And I suppose if any of us were there, we would probably be just as scared as they they were because God, besides being merciful and kind and loving and forgiving and all those things we depend upon, God is mighty and he is great. I want to ask you another question, Ken. Well, back at this time when the commandments were given at Mount Sinai and while the people witnessed the majesty and glory of the Lord, they said something. They were scared, but they said something and in response to receiving the commandments and seeing and hearing the glory of the Lord. What was it, Ken? Well, after hearing all that the Lord had said, the people responded And they said, everyone, we will do what the Lord says. That was their response. Yes, all that the Lord says we will do. I wonder if they did it out of fear, because maybe they did out of fear. That's okay, but it's not as good as doing things out of a loving response. When people do things from fear, they're afraid of the consequences When people do things out of love, the consequences don't mean so much. All right, all that the Lord says we will do, and this was talking about the Ten Commandments. Nick, do you think there's a direct relationship between obedience and an appreciation of who God is? Yes, Len, I believe um, there is a good connection there. And even if I read just uh, to start with a verse, Uh, verse 27 in Deuteronomy chapter 5 says, go yourself and listen to what the Lord, our God, says. Then come and tell us everything he tells you, and we will listen and obey. It's very interesting passage here. We are quick sometimes to say, yes, we'll do that. We'll obey. We'll do what the Lord says. 
But with our hearts, we can be far away from, uh, you know, what the Lord uh, wants us to do. Also, then, uh, there are some other passages in the Bible which we can uh, look at in Exodus, for example, chapter 19 and verse 8, which reads this, And all the people responded together, We will do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. You see this communication, and that's probably a little bit different from us because we may have different view of how Moses communicated with the Lord, with God, or how God communicated with Moses or with his people in that time. And I heard quite often some people saying that they don't have that experience, you know, uh, what they read in the Bible, that God was communicated, communicating, you know, face to face with the people in, in those days. I mean, almost face to face. But I believe today we have a different experience. I mean, I, I was talking with somebody and they asking, they asked me, where is God? If I will see God, then I will believe in him. And I had to share with the person my own journey with God and how I believe that uh, God is present in my life. And after that was interesting, his remark, he said, oh, you have something which I don't have, <laughs> which I thought that was very uh, important, you know, somebody to, to recognize that. And we need to have that relationship, that connection with God to be able to to journey together. Okay. Lydia, you wanted to add something? Yes. So um, the question was, do you think there is a direct relationship between obedience and an appreciation of who God is? I think obedience comes from appreciation. First, you appreciate who is God, what God is doing for you. And after that, you, through this appreciation, uh, is being so deep, you love God and you come obedient. And uh, my NIV translation of my Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 27 says, Go near and listen to all that the Lord our God says. That's very touching. So it says, go near, go near God. And listen, take time to listen, to talk to God, to all that he says to you. When you respect someone, you're more likely to cooperate with them. If you don't respect someone, you're less likely to cooperate. So when you respect God because he is a loving God and because of who he is in his status in the universe, we must have respect. And Lydia said very well, she said something about when we love God, we will obey God. Ken, what did you wish to add? I was just thinking about what you mentioned about obedience and appreciation. And I think back to parents, which I think is a good example. When we're growing up, parents often tell us you shouldn't do X, Y, and Z. And invariably, we end up doing X, Y, and Z. And you really don't understand until you get older often and you have children and you realize you tell your children exactly the same things. And you look back in your life and you think, well, my parents told me that and they were right. Yes. 
All right, well, now we come to where God says, me ye ten, which means, of course, if only. Joe, why did God exclaim, me ye ten? Well, I guess it might be worth mentioning that me ye ten is mentioned a number of times in Scripture. This is not the only place. And it tells it basically portrays uh, a lot intense longing, a desire, a yearning, a yearning of the speaker. If only may it be, and here God laments. If only may it be that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me, and always keep all my commandments, that it may be well, and that they may prosper with them and their children forever. Now God knew. And as you mentioned earlier, Len, that what they said was mostly out of fear and human weakness rather than a genuine deep-seated desire or knowledge of God, as uh, Ligia put it, for many of them, okay? But there were those who were genuine, and we know that because when there were rebellions, they were the ones that stood for the Lord on the Lord's side. But God was aware of their weaknesses, as he is of ours, and the power of culture, tradition, habit, to replace truth, change, and revival. Now, we know that God, who is omnipotent, is here powerless, dare I say, um, when it comes to changing decisions or people's decisions, people's minds, choices. Um, If he did, then it wouldn't be a freedom of choice. So he can't compel people like, well, Satan can manipulate and compel, but God here is given them Freedom of choice. He knows what's going to happen. And he laments. He says, me ye ten, if only, if only you would choose what is right. Now, God gave them the best option because he knows the future. He knows the past. He knows the present. And he tells them, this is the best path. This is the safest path. This path is going to give you the most prosperity, the most happiness. Follow this way. Be obedient always. But he knows, he knows that all the words that they say are very short-lived and evaporate <laughs> quickly as as um, as we humans are like that. So, yeah, that's the context of me, you ten, if only, if only. And Ken alluded to parents and children before, and those of us who've had children, we uh, think to ourselves, from time to time, if only my kids would have done this or gone that way instead of making bad choices and having to suffer. Yes, Ledger? These Hebrew words, me eaten, which it means if only, it seems to me it's like a, a promise, a conditioned promise, because it sounds like when God said, if only... You've chosen me to love me, to obey me, to, you know, to listen to me. You will be spared of all that hardship that you've been through talking to the Israelites. Yes. And this applies in my life also. If only you would do this, you will be spared and you will be much better. You will be good things than bad things. Yes. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And um, I've probably experienced those kind of moments um, as a parent 
And I've probably, God has experienced those kind of moments regarding me and my life and my response to him. And I suppose the same could be said about each of us. Now, there's a very nice statement. Lydia, would you like to read this statement? Because I think this is very beneficial for our listeners to hear. Okay. This is a very important statement, and I would like to read it. Just as we humans are free to sin, we also are free to choose the Lord, to choose to be open to his leading, to choose by responding to his spirit, to repent from our sins and to follow him. Ultimately, the choice is ours and ours alone. And it is a choice that we have to make day by day, moment by moment. Yes, it's something that we would all do well to take notice of. Ours is the choice, and nobody's going to make it for us. But we need to choose every day, every moment of the day, to uh, stay close to God. Ken, is there any guide to help us to make right choices. Well, um, in New Zealand, you often see people wearing a little badge with the letters WWJD. I came across this many years ago and often wondered what it meant until I saw a person in church with one and asked them, what do these letters mean? The answer, what would Jesus do? And I thought, what a great reminder. If you find yourself in some situation and you're not sure how to respond, you think about if Jesus was here, what would you say or do? So we can all read it all the way through the New Testament, how Jesus responded to all classes of people, even his enemies. So, yes, we have a very good example of how we should act, because when we read all through the New Testament about things that Jesus did, he was forever helping uh, people and doing all he could for them, irrespective of their class. Yes, it's good to think of Jesus as our example. Lydia and then Joe. Many times I was prompted to apply in my life, in different circumstances, this statement. What would Jesus do if he would be here in my situation now? what he would do. I would like to do what he would do. And many times I prayed about it. And I said, Jesus, please help me to do what you would do in my place, because I don't want to make any mistakes, because Jesus knows the past, the present, and the future, but I don't, because I'm very limited. And uh, we know that God, Jesus, the Trinity, they know everything. We don't know, but if we rely on God and ask for his guidance, he will answer us and he will help us. And uh, if we'll stick to God, we will be successful and we will be victorious. All right. Well, that's a very good sentiment. I feel, though, that sometimes we could need something in black and white. What do you think, Joe? Well, I kind of think I agree with everything that's been said, but I think that it's it's become a bit of a cliche through overuse. What would Jesus do? You know, it's on mugs and fridge magnets. Um, there's a whole industry around WWJD. And um, 
I think, unfortunately, it's also uh, a source of mockery against Christians by those who are scoffing at Christian uh, people and their philosophy. So I guess maybe maybe we could look at it and what did Jesus do when in such a situation? Because we know that Jesus was in many different situations. Let's look at what he did do um, and how he reacted as a greater guide than sometimes when we talk about what would Jesus do, sometimes it's a little fanciful as well and people put their own subjective views on I think Jesus would do this and I feel that Jesus would do that. But I think it's important to go back to scripture and say, well, what did Jesus actually do in this very situation? And I'm sure there's something there for everyone in every situation in life. Yes, Jesus said, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments as I have kept my father's commandments. So Jesus kept the commandment. So I agree with um, what's being said about what would Jesus do, but it is subjective. And that's why I mentioned, is there something in black and white? Well, there is. That's the commandment. But Nick, you wanted to add something. On the same line, Len, uh, I was going to say that I believe that statement there, what will Jesus do? Uh, it should be a little bit more uh, rhetorical question, if you like, because this is to prevent when we are going to make some decisions or something like that, we should always consult, if you like, on our decisions with the will of God. And that's exactly what would Jesus do in this uh, situation, in this context. That's, yeah, this statement has value. But as uh, Joe said, if we are comparing that one to make, um, let's say, way of being, you know, or, or a theology in regard to what, how we see what Jesus will do, then I believe it's, we, we go on a very dangerous ground because we cannot uh, express in our human nature and sinful human nature what Jesus will do. But we have the written word, as you said, Len, we have the guidance there. And if we'll consult God through the written word to the law of God, then we'll know what to do in those circumstances. Yes. And coming back to what Joe was saying, on a number of occasions, if you read through the Gospels, Jesus had a course of action and he was challenged did you know what he did? He said, it is written. He went back to the written word of God. And I'd like to suggest maybe in making certain decisions, we need to consider what Jesus would do, but we need to ask, is it legal? We need to ask, is it right? Is it honest? Honest, rather. Is it honourable? Is it helpful? So... These are some guidelines to help us choose to do that which is right. Now, Joe, as you read through the book of Deuteronomy, God has expressed an if only, a me you ten exclamation in knowing what the people were going to do. 
The people at the giving of the law at Sinai said, all that the Lord says we will do. But God actually knew what was going to happen. So the question then is, is God able to tell the future? That's a very good question, Lynn. Um, Is God able to tell the future? Well, we have evidence of God being able to tell the future. God is not just saying that himself. There is evidence in in numerous places. There is the the image of Daniel chapter 2, where we have a series, series of empires spanning the head of Babylon right down to our own time. Um, this is like the centerpiece of prophecy. This is no other holy book, if you like, has ever, ever managed to do that. And all the prophecies of Nostradamus, you know, I think someone had actually calculated um, his, cur- cur- what do you call it, um, how often he's right. And it's, right. it's very poor, very poor. <laughs> but here we have a prophecy uh, right smack bang in the middle of the Bible that spans, you know, generations and empires, and it it's, takes us right down to our own time, um, including the 70-week prophecy we have um, that spans hundreds of years. That gives us the time and place of the birth of Jesus in Micah 5.2, where it names Bethlehem, um, you know, a small town in the clans of Judah, but out of you will come to me one who will rule over Israel. Powerful words. And, of course, there's another one of uh, the prediction of the fall of Jerusalem. The Jews of that time, they revered Jerusalem. This was untouchable. This was their holy ground. God would never, ever allow anything to happen to Jerusalem. And Jesus says, do you see all these things? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another Every one will be thrown down. And so these are just a, a hand-picked few. And I'd like to uh, just add to this that Isaiah in chapter 46, verses 9 and 10 says, this is God speaking about himself. He says, remember what happened long ago for I am God. There is no other. I am God. There is none like me. We've got repetition here, emphasis. I declare the end from the beginning and ancient times from what is still to come, I say, my purpose will stand and all my good pleasure will I accomplish. We have the book of Revelation that tells us how God will accomplish his pleasure for our salvation. All right. Thank you. Lydia, you wanted to add something? Yes, so to, to answer to the question, does God know or orchestrate the future? Of course, of course he does. Because we found, find ev- evidence all through the Bible of God's um, uh, full knowledge. And uh, I would like to mention just uh, a glimpse of uh, one experience that it says in the Bible uh, with Peter. So in Matthew 26:34, Jesus told Peter before it happened, he said, he says, surely I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So, of course, the Lord Jesus knew the end from the beginning and his foreknowledge, uh, even of our free choices, has no bearing whatever on the freedom of, of these choices. 
So God is in control of everything and he knows everything from the beginning. All right. Now, there's a difference between knowing and causing. And the question that we need to settle here, because I'm sure there are a lot of people who are bothered by this question, does God know the future or does God cause the future? And For example, my life. Did God cause me to make certain decisions so that I ended up there? Or did God know beforehand that I was going to make those decisions that led me to end up there? What do you think, Nick? Yes, Len, I think that the question, yeah, it's it's very pertinent question. Uh, does know the future or orchestrate the future? Joe pointed out very well that uh, God knows the future. And through the prophecies in the Bible, we, yeah, we know that, we understand that. In regard to predestination or even orchestrating, you know, uh, our life, even though the Bible says that God's plan is for us all to um, to do well, you know, to to walk with him. But because of the free choice we have, God cannot orchestrate our life. Um, he will provide everything necessarily and needed for us to be in a perfect relationship with him. But the choice is ours. That's why God cannot orchestrate our life, because if he does that, then um, uh, freedom of choice, it's uh, out of the window. Yes, no, I agree. God can lead us to make certain decisions, but he will not force us to do that, because as soon as he forces us, then uh, his rule of love in the universe is um, no longer applies. Yes, Joe. To know what is going to happen, Lynn, to know what is going to happen is not the same as making it happen. Yes. And um, as already has been mentioned, there is a freedom of choice. It is God's will that all should come to repentance, that all, that none should perish. The fact that they do gives evidence that they do have a power to choose otherwise. And another thing is that Satan himself would jump up and down and claim an abuse of power. God was abusing his power if he trampled on our freedom of choice. Yes. All right. Well, I guess we need to hurry on. You know, the people were warned or told how to be happy and prosperous, but God foresaw what would happen to the Israelites after they were settled in the promised land. What was that, Joe? Well, it was, it didn't take very long for, um, very long for them to, um, carve out images in those, the things that they could see around them and worship them. It says in verse 25 that they were doing evil in the sight of the Lord and they were provoking him to anger. And because they did that, he would, um, allow them to be scattered among the nations. Now, we've already mentioned, I think that God Nothing surprises God. You know, he knew. He knew that they would be faithless, that they would uh, go waywardly. And so he didn't discard them because he knew their future infidelity. He knew that all their sense, all the sincerity that they could muster was very short-lived. And I had a, a look. You know, we've mentioned about children and, and um, obeying your parents. And interestingly, 
a two-year-old or a toddler, the obedience that he, the amount of uh, the ability to comply with um, parental instructions is about 60% of the time. Okay, so you'll get this is off one website. A three-year-old, now for a three-year-old or a preschooler, you're aiming for 70% compliance and obedience. A five-year-old, you can reasonably expect 85% to 90%. Okay. Now, one would imagine that that's because at the age of five, you're able to reason with them and they see that, yes, we're going to do what's right. We're going to obey mommy and daddy or whoever the caregiver is. But something happens. Something happens during teenage years. And Len, I think that you have mentioned this before on the show where somehow between the ages of nine and and 13, there is a, a serious rebellion taking place. Um, there's a, a Dr. Carl Picard who points out that this be- happens between 9 and 13. Now, these these youth get to a point where perhaps they know what is right. Now, I'm not a child psychologist, but I've had children. <laughs> and they get to a point where they know what is right, what is a good thing to do, but they want to do something else. They want to do what they feel like doing rather than their, what they've been asked or directed to do. And I think when when we behave like that, we're we're like rebellious teenagers, and I think the Israelites were in that in that state where where we know what is right. God has promised all this goodness and prosperity and happiness and health, but we really feel like doing the other thing. We want to join in with the nations around us. We want to intermarry with them. You know, their festivities with involved with their worship, you know, well, they seem to be so enticing and uh, a pleasure to be and we want to have good relations with our neighbours. And so suddenly we have a very a strong, fit nation of, you know, median, a fairly young median age indulging in all sorts of practices that God could not condone. And so, um, you know, I guess back to the present, back to our us, what is our obedience track record? Is it poor? Um, God knows that we are weak, just like they were weak, rebellious at heart, self-indulgent, and we fall prey to our senses just like they, they did. But he calls us to continue to choose him. There is hope because he says that wherever he's been, they've been scattered, if they turn to him, there is hope. There is hope. And so if we choose him, he will do for us what he wanted to do for them, and that was to help us to recenter our lives, to reset, to restore, to return. You have raised such an interesting point here, Joe. You've asked the question, what would our obedience percentage be? Well, you didn't say in exactly those words, but it's a very good point to consider what is my obedience percentage or my obedience quotient now we've got to hurry on but this i'd love to explore if we get time at the end so joe has already suggested what did happen to the people nick Uh, they did go off the rails a couple of generations later they were worshiping idols so what did god do about it did he wipe them off Yes, Len, we know that uh, God is a merciful God. 
And as the Bible put it, he's a long-suffering God uh, also. And because he knows our ways and um, we cause him so much pain through, through that because we misbehave. Uh, and Joe pointed out, even though people of Israel, they were foretold before and even uh, prophesied that, oh, after many years, actually you will rebel, you will do uh, the wrong things, even if though they say, no, we'll do what God says to do. Uh, but I would like to read just uh, quickly in uh, Deuteronomy. We alluded to this uh, passage before also in uh, past programs. It says in chapter 4, verses 29 to 31, But from there, you will search again for the Lord your God. And if you search for him with all your heart and soul, you will find him in the distant future when you are suffering all these things, you will find a return to the Lord your God and listen to what he tells you. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon you or destroy you or forget the solemn covenant he made with your ancestors. And this is the punch here, Len. Unfortunately, God has been portrayed in a very bad picture by uh, lots of people today, forgetting that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is a merciful God. He is uh, full of love and grace. And he desires each one of us to turn to him and to give our hearts to him that we may have a better life. Yes. Well, Ken, I think uh, Nick has kind of asked, answered the question I was going to ask you, but I'll put it in another way. If we earnestly and sincerely seek the Lord, what will he do? Will he say, forget about it, I'm not interested in you anymore? Or will he do something else, Ken? Well, then I could quickly read uh, a couple of scriptures here in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 29. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. In Isaiah 55 and verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly re- abundantly pardon. Again, this makes it very clear that if we seek after God with all our heart, not half of our hearts, but all of our heart, he is more than willing to forgive us our sins and is longing to bless us. Because God is long-suffering and I'm very glad that he is. Otherwise, there would have been no hope for me. Lydia. God's grace is so amazing. Even after the Israelites fall into the horrific evil of idolatry, even after they have received the due consequences of their sins, if they turn to the Lord, if they would turn to the Lord, he will forgive them and restore them. In short, if they freely chose to repent, he will accept their repentance. And this applies to us also. 
to choose God, to ask for forgiveness, to ask for repentance, and God will forgive us and, and he will restore us again. Yes. Well, we could exclaim with the Lord, if only they would turn to the Lord. Joe, one of the punishments the Lord promised the people if they were disobedient was to be dispersed. In other words, rooted up out of their homeland and become slaves or vassals in foreign lands. What conditions would apply for them to return to their homeland? Now, this is a very important thing because I know there are many people who have this firm belief that all the Jews are going to return to Israel. But there is a condition mentioned there. Would you like to point that out? Absolutely, absolutely. There are conditions, and I think in verse 2, if we look at Deuteronomy 30, verse 2, it says, And and shalt return unto the Lord thy God, and shalt obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, Thou and thy children with all thine heart and with all thy soul. Now, this, this, I could be quoting this from the New Testament, couldn't I? Almost. It seems that, um, if I was standing in that congregation listening to Moses say these things, then I would be tempted to think that Moses was being negative because he never prophesied anything good about us. But if I put myself in a few hundred or whatever years later when I found myself in Babylon and I read these words, I would find them terribly, terribly comforting. They would they were words of restoration. They were words that could speak to my heart. And it says here in verse sorry, verse one, and it shall come to pass when all these things have come, you know, and the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you Call them to mind among the nations whither your God has driven you. And then you return to the Lord, not half-heartedly, not just a pretense of show and formality and ritual, but a sincere return to the Lord. Then, then, you know, I will bring you back. He promises to show compassion. And in verse 6, again, repetition, emphasis, and the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed, your children, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live, that you may live. And then, of course, in verse 10, we have this again. This is the third one. And if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, if thou turn, if you return unto the Lord thy God with all your heart, and all thy soul, you know, and then it goes on for this commandment, and we studied this last week, is not hidden. It's not far away. You don't have to go to heaven or to the depths of the ocean. It's near. It's near. Just like Lydia said, it's near. Come near to the Lord. Don't run away. Hide behind Moses. Come near. Come mm. near. Mm. Yes, well, you've said it, and I want to just um, summarise much of what you've said, the condition for the people to return to their homeland was first to return to the Lord. Now, Nick, this applies, I believe, very much in these modern times 
where many of the Jews think that all the Jews will return to Israel. Would you like to make a comment on this? Just very quickly, Len, and I'll just point uh, our listeners again to chapter 30 in Deuteronomy and yeah, read those uh, verses 1 to 5 uh, again and um, understand that uh, when God says that they will return uh, to their homeland and to Jerusalem in that case, and keep in mind that God says that about Jerusalem, that that's the place of his dwelling. Now, we know that God, it's promised us that God will dwell within us, each one of us. And uh, from a modern, modern point of view here, it doesn't mean that we will all return to a particular land. I mean, in this case, we'll, to Israel, you know, um, in Middle East. Uh, but what Georgia said, we'll return to the Lord. And that's important, to, to return to the Lord um, from all our uh, scattering, uh, for all our, uh, you know, uh, rambling around. And I think that's the, the lesson which I would like to, to point out. Yes, very well said. Um, Ken, there's an expression used in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6 which says to the people, you need to circumcise your hearts. What do you understand by circumcising your heart? It means, Len, that you have to basically cut away everything that is not good in your heart, that you have to really sift your heart and go through it and get rid of all excess things that are not pleasing or not good to the Lord. And uh, I, I think it, it makes it very clear uh, quickly in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So he's talking about with his help, he wants to change your heart into what the Bible refers to as a fleshy heart, not a hard heart that has its own desires and things that are uh, against the Lord, but one that is full of love and is in tune with God. Okay, I like what you said there. You have to cut away that which is not good. In other words, if you're committing sins, that has to stop. Lydia, what did you want to say in relation to this? Uh, God uh, can circumcise our hearts in order to be pure, um, and honor him only if we choose to uh, love him 100%. Not 80%, not 95%, but 100%. All right, good. Well, um, there is a connection between what's described as circumcising your hearts and loving the Lord with all your heart and soul and everything you've got. Um how does this go when we do keep God's commandments? How does God respond to us? Nick, would you like to just give a little comment there? Len, uh, today people don't want to hear that God has, from the beginning, a plan with us, and it revealed it to us 
in various ways. And as we mentioned today, through his word. And I think this is very important. And I just quickly, I want to read um, a verse or two from the same chapter in Deuteronomy, chapter 30. Verse 15 says, Now listen today, I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I commanded you this day to love the Lord your God and keep his commandments. I think this is very uh, clear here. Uh, If that was good for the people of Israel, which God chosen, is good enough for us also today to listen to God's law and to what he wants us to do. I think we should look into the Bible more to see God's plan for us and not just look around and hear from one or from the other uh, what's their opinion or idea. Well said. Now, Joe, John the Baptist, what message did he preach? The message that he preached was um, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. There's a sense of urgency here in this proclamation. Um, Jesus was there in the flesh. They needed no longer to look at some time in the future. The Messiah was here. To repent comes from the word Greek metaneo. We get the word metamorphosis, metabolism, and it means to change one's mind. It means to regret, grieve, and sorrow over sinful deeds that lead to a change of mind in life. It's a change of attitude um, that chooses God. Uh, To believe is from the Greek word pisteia, which means to be fully convinced. So both of these terms are quite heavy words and full of implication, indicating a radical change of direction. You know, one can't continue on their merry way because this calls for decision. It's a very modern, it's its application is for our time as well. There's no time for procrastination, wavering, looking back. It's a time, today is the time to turn away from all that has hindered your journey to God, time to return to God. And I think that is... That is what the message is in the time has come. The time is at hand. Repent. And um, it's an important one. I think this is the message that's going to go out and sweep the world yet again. Yes, this uh, applies very much with what Ken was saying, to cut away that which is bad in our lives. Now, we need help for that. Just as the messages of God wanting to give his people the Israelites back then and us now, a good life in the land they would occupy, God wants to give us a good life in our times. Good implies being at peace, to be healthy, to be holy and happy. Several generations after the people occupied Canaan, many turned away from the Lord and worshipped useless idols. How stupid! Just as God tried to draw people back to him back then, so he wants you to honour and serve him and enjoy the good life now. Repent and believe is the message for our time for all of us. We hope you'll join us next week, listeners, where there are more life lessons we could learn from Deuteronomy. And I'm going to close today's um, 
session with prayer. Thank you all the panel members for joining us. Let's pray now. Father in heaven, we've learned quite some things today. We pray, Lord, that although you know the future, that we will make the right choices regarding our future. And the ultimate choice is to accept your grace. I pray that the Holy Spirit will lead anyone who's wavering about what to do to make that choice to serve you because the promises that you give are true and real. We ask these things today in the name of Jesus and a blessing on all of our listeners. Amen. 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 And thank you, Len. Thank you, everyone on the panel um, for your contribution. Uh, as Len uh, just you mentioned, uh, next uh, time we are going to learn a bit more and uh, um, we are going to talk about to remember and not, not to forget. Uh, please join us again, and until then, may God richly bless you. And choose today with all your heart and all your mind and all your being to follow Jesus. <laughs>